Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello. Welcome to Jules Says. It's almost April and we had snow this week, which was not cool. But we always get at least one snowfall in April. It usually doesn't stick. Gotta expect it. After last week's podcast, Sex Ed, I took the time to read the Ontario curriculum, which is only 320 pages. And the sex ed portion is just one component. But the curriculum includes social, emotional learning, healthy relationships, equity and inclusivity, ethics, financial literacy, and inquiry skills, among other topics. Obviously, parents are guardians, and I say guardians because some children are being raised by someone other than their parents, teach all these areas, even if unwittingly. But let's be honest, parents don't necessarily actively teach children social and life skills when they're little. Other than maybe some basics like don't hit, you have to share, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe it doesn't occur to them. I mean, after all, most of us instinctively raise our children the way we were raised without giving it too much thought. But children also absorb so much from family, friends, society, the media. And sometimes they absorb feelings of worthlessness or entitlement. They certainly can absorb homophobia, racism, bigotry, you can say all you want that you don't want children to learn about sex when they're little. But the fact is, we're inundated with sexual images all the time. Of course, all of these human social dynamics are much broader than the sexual context, and they affect the whole person. For example, bullying, treating people with respect, setting boundaries, Learning how to navigate socially is critical to self-esteem and, of course, functioning well in society. And too often, we are raised to be nice, not to challenge authority, or to lash out as opposed to challenging authority thoughtfully and respectfully, often to put others' comfort ahead of our own feelings. Or, conversely, some people are raised with entitlement to the point where they learn to demand and expect what they want as though they're the center of the universe. Obviously, there's a whole lot of gray area, and somewhere in there is an emotionally healthy balance. And of course, as I've said often, 
children are incredibly intuitive, and they will absorb a lot of feelings and behaviors that you aren't even aware of. You might think you're hiding something from your children, but the fact is they're absorbing it. If you're stressed and not talking about it, they know you're stressed. They might not put a word to it, but they know. And none of this even begins to touch the additional challenges of children who may have neurological or medical diagnoses or undiagnosed neurological issues. Raising healthy, emotionally well-adjusted children is a very difficult job. And if you've decided you don't want to have children, don't let anyone judge you or tell you you're selfish. You're not. But even if you don't have children of your own, you probably have friends or relatives who do have children, so you can have an influence on their lives even if you're just visiting occasionally. And thank science, we now have a choice. I'm sure we all remember the kid at school who was mercilessly teased or who was incredibly socially awkward or who lashed out at people. I mean, school has to be a miserable experience for people who have those difficulties. But what becomes of their children if they have them? In the olden days, bad behavior might have just been punished at school or reported to parents. But if your parents don't have the ability or means to help you constructively, there really wasn't much the teachers could do. Even probably today, there isn't much the teachers can do. But based on what I just read in this curriculum, it does seem to me that the school is expected to take a more active role in helping children develop socially than they used to. The content of this curriculum is definitely not limited to the three R's. I also always say that children are a lot smarter than we give them credit for, and I don't think they're ever too young to be actively taught empathy or how to set boundaries. If something hurts, teach the child that it matters. Most little children really don't want to hurt anyone. They just act or react without thinking. We need to consistently and calmly let them know when they hurt someone without getting mad at them or necessarily punishing them. Ask how they would feel about that. If they've hurt someone's feelings, often just explaining that will teach them to think. It's not a one-shot thing. You have to be consistent about it. And if you're yelling and screaming yourself, you're teaching them that yelling and screaming is okay. Obviously, we're human and we occasionally lose it, but that's different from people who are just shouty all the time. When Catherine was maybe about two, I was helping her climb on the monkey bars one day, and she said to me, happily and smiling, Oh, mommy, you're pucked in the head. Of course, I immediately corrected her, honey, it's fucked in the head, not pucked. No, I didn't really. I just told her not to say that to anyone ever again because it would hurt their feelings. It isn't very nice. And she understood that. I didn't punish her. I just explained. And I'm sure she's never told anyone they were fucked in the head since then. But we do need a balance between empathy for others and ourselves. We certainly don't want children to grow up thinking they don't matter. So learning to set personal boundaries is important, too. We need to teach children how to firmly and respectfully say no and to accept no from others with grace. I don't think we always do a good job of this. I certainly know that I fell short. I definitely fell short on this one. Hugging is a good example because some people 
simply are not comfortable with hugs or anything that feels like a personal invasion of space. But too often, we don't respect that, even in adulthood. But it's worse when you're little and adorable and irresistible. One of the silver linings of COVID is we're not necessarily expected to hug and kiss anymore when we greet people. But small children are often instructed to hug and kiss people, and their discomfort is often not respected. Not only that, they're not necessarily in a position when they're very little to decline or accept. And that needs to change, and it is changing. But we need to take it a step further and actively teach them how to handle those situations. I recently asked a close friend's 13-year-old if he wanted a hug. I hadn't seen him in a while. His little brother is an enthusiastic hugger. They're very different. I already figured the 13-year-old wouldn't want a hug, but I didn't want him to feel as though I only cared about his little hugger brother, and I wanted to see if he would feel comfortable saying no. He made a face and hesitated, and I just smiled and said, You can say no. In fact, you should say no if you don't want someone to hug you. That's why I asked. I hope he remembers that and says no directly next time it comes up with someone. I would like to see children taught to say confidently, no thank you, I don't like hugs. Sounds simple, doesn't it? At a very young age, I taught my children to smile, extend their hand for handshake, look the person in the eye and say, nice to meet you. Post-COVID, I guess we don't automatically shake hands anymore. In Canada or North America, we don't cheek kiss as a standard. But we can still look people in the eye and smile. This was very uncomfortable for them when they were little, but when they started doing it, they learned to appreciate the confidence it gave them. Why not teach children the confidence to politely articulate boundaries? It isn't necessarily natural for them, unless maybe they've been pushed too far and they get angry. But I think it can be actively taught, yet we don't generally do it. I didn't teach my children how to say no to hugs. I did say to them, you don't have to hug anyone you don't want to. But why didn't I teach them specifically how to handle that situation? I should have. And I was recently chatting with a friend about how we were told that touching anywhere in the bathing suit area was not appropriate, which also came up with Carrie in the sex ed episode. And I think this sends a confusing message to children when they feel uncomfortable about someone touching them at all. Predators groom victims with seemingly innocent actions and words. If a person doesn't want to be touched anywhere, anytime, teach children how to decline directly. Maybe even just, please don't touch my hair. And if that doesn't stop them, I told you not to touch my hair. A decent person will accept a polite, direct refusal without argument, and anyone who persists needs to be told they're out of line by the adults in charge. Teach children to let you know if anyone makes them uncomfortable, and trust them. Don't allow that person to be alone with your child. Too often, children just don't tell us. And people don't necessarily outgrow this reticence, but... I learned at age 18 that being direct can be effective. I worked in a restaurant, and my boss used to pat my butt, kind of poke my midriff, not my bathing suit area, but it clearly was inappropriate. And at first, I thought it was an accident, but after a few accidents, I said, please don't touch me. Why not, he asked. Because I don't like it. And you know what? He never did it again. But if he had, 
that would have let me know that I was dealing with an asshat or potentially someone who was dangerous. Oh, another thing I used to do, if someone sent me a drink in a bar or if they offered to buy me a drink, I would say, no, thank you. I don't accept drinks from strangers. And there have been times when a bartender has said to me, but I've already poured it. And I've said, he can send it to someone else, drink it himself, or you can pour it out. I don't accept drinks from strangers. That's just my rule. And I know people thought I was kind of being ridiculous, but I didn't ever, ever, ever want anyone to think that I owed them anything. And that was one of my boundaries. Boundaries at work were another important thing. I learned to set boundaries at work when Carrie was a baby in the process of being diagnosed with celiac disease, and I felt that I was being taken advantage of at work. And that taught me to set boundaries at work. It's very important because if you give, give, give and work for free, they will take it. But when it comes time to restructure and lay you off, they won't think twice about tossing you out the door. But, you know, I know that telling someone to back off, oh, I have so many other stories about boundaries at work. But anyway, I know telling someone to back off can feel uncomfortable, but we do need to learn how. Even in my 50s, one of my colleagues would just walk up behind me when I was sitting at my desk working and start massaging my shoulders. I worked with another woman, maybe 20 years ago now, who would approach some of the men from behind and rub her breasts on the backs of their heads. You'd be fired for that now. But here's the thing. She genuinely thought she was being funny and assumed the men enjoyed it. And maybe she was right. Maybe she knew her audience. Maybe they did enjoy it. But even though she was not a direct threat to their physical safety, why would they not have just told her not to touch them? My theory is that historically, women have been the sexual gatekeepers. Certainly when I was young, it was the woman's responsibility to say no. We had to make sure we're not in a position where someone can take advantage of us or hurt us. And if we find ourselves in that position, it was our fault if something happened. And in the context of slut-shaming culture, which we're still not fully beyond, we were expected to always say no because nice women would never, ever say yes. You only say yes to your husband if you're a nice woman, and even then, you're actually not allowed to say no. This same slut-shaming culture teaches men that since women are expected to say no, we may really be hoping that they don't take no for an answer. And that's not fair to them either, is it? If it's okay to say yes, then we have no reason to say no unless we mean it. How you say no matters, too. I had taken the children and some of their friends to some indoor play place with lots of equipment for all ages. I would say Catherine and her friend would have been maybe 12. The girls told me afterward that some boys had been chasing them around and grabbing their asses. Did you tell the staff? I asked. No. Did you tell them to stop? Yes, they answered. How did you tell them? Did you smile and laugh, or did you face them directly and say, don't touch me? They kind of looked at each other. I explained to them that you have to make sure your whole face and body and demeanor are sending a clear message, or the boys might be confused. It isn't just about the words. So I demonstrated, look them in the eye and say it like you mean it. Don't 
touch me. But I completely understand the mixed feelings about these situations. I used to be a young girl. I know perfectly well that I would have at least felt partly flattered that the boys were paying attention to me, at the same time not wanting them to grab my ass. These two things can be true at once, and smiling while saying no is conveying both of those things to the boys, especially to callow little boys who want what they want. Also, when I was younger, I wasn't very comfortable directly saying no to people. So I just, (laughs) I totally get why you'd be like, don't touch me. And the other thing about the boys is, chances are they just wanted to get the girl's attention. They're not necessarily taught how to go about getting a girl's attention in a respectful way. So they just do whatever they think will work. Little girls actively sort out their social skills all their lives with each other through role play. We grow up learning how to deflect unwanted attention. Though we do learn to be too nice about it because we also have to learn not to anger someone who is bigger and stronger than we are and we're expected to be nice. Do men naturally learn these skills? Even though they are less at risk of being physically hurt by a woman, is it possible that they don't learn how to speak up when their boundaries have been invaded? Too often, they're just taught to punch. And it's certainly not fair that men are expected to always be on the hunt and in the mood for as much sex as they can possibly get. But I think in a lot of cases, even today, that's what society is telling them. So if a man is out with friends and a woman starts chatting with them, maybe flirtatiously, maybe he's in a relationship or maybe he's single and just not interested, does he immediately tell her he's not interested or that he's married? Or does he just kind of go along with it? Is he going along with it because he's uncomfortable with being direct or because he's flattered? In some cases, surely it's because he hasn't learned to say no in those situations. He's uncomfortable with saying no. Plus, he's been raised to know that he can't punch her, at least not in public. Though I would argue that these same cis-hetero men would have no issues declining an offer from another man. But sadly, they're not necessarily comfortable just saying no. They do feel the need to punch them. And a lot of men have similar issues with work boundaries. They might work all kinds of overtime for no pay or do favors for people when they really don't have time or make simultaneous commitments that are impossible to meet because you can't be in two places at once. My point is simply that this is not just a woman problem. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
On the flip side, though, we do also need to learn to graciously accept no for an answer. And I think the younger people are when they learn this, the better off they'll be. You can't go through life without experiencing disappointment, not getting something you want. You need to learn how to handle those things. And I know, as parents, we want our children to have trouble-free lives, but it's not realistic and it's not healthy. Learning how to handle disappointment and rejection without taking it personally builds resilience and self-confidence. Respecting boundaries is the flip side of setting your own boundaries and expecting other people to respect them. And then, of course, this is all tied to consent. When Catherine was maybe in sixth grade, there was going to be a dance at her school, and the children had been instructed that if someone asks them to dance, they were not allowed to say no. She was not impressed with this directive, and, of course, I was certainly not impressed. And if I had something to say to the teachers, I didn't just call or go meet with them. It was a challenge meeting with them during their business hours. So much to my children's embarrassment, I generally sent a letter to ensure the message was loud, clear, and in writing. Why would we tell children they do not have the right to say no? I know it takes courage to ask someone to dance, but children need to learn to firmly decline politely and also to accept no with grace. And the younger we teach children these skills, the more confident and resilient I think they'll be. Not everyone is beautiful or funny or popular, and not everyone wants to be, but we absolutely must teach children that we all have value and deserve respect. Of course, empathy and boundaries and consent tie up into the bullying problem. Why do children bully? I have never, ever understood it. I've never understood adults who dismiss it with, oh, well, that's just kids. There's a big difference between saying no thank you to a person and saying, are you kidding me? Get lost, you freak. Sure, teaching social skills is the parent's or guardian's responsibility, but what do we do when parents don't or can't actively teach empathy, respect for boundaries, and resilience, and children are getting all kinds of negative messages from their surroundings? Let's be honest, some children grow up in a home with abusive parents or guardians. Should we trust that these children will work it out for themselves? There's a general attitude of, oh, kids will be kids or boys will be boys. And if you know any little girls closely, you know how socially cruel little girls can be. The topic of sex ed and the Ontario curriculum got me thinking about all this. But also, I listened to a podcast last week called Boys Like Me, hosted by Ellen Chloe Bateman, which dug into the bullying experiences of two schoolmates Evan Mead and Alec Manassian. Both were socially awkward. Both experienced rejection, humiliation, and extreme bullying. Listening to the descriptions of bullying and how they reacted showed that these guys had absorbed societal expectations and negative self-judgments. How they fell short compared to what a man should be. And they hadn't been actively taught how to navigate rejection. They had all these ideas in their minds about what it meant, what they should do, and they didn't discuss it with anyone. 
Their bullies had not actively been taught empathy, I suspect, or respect for uniqueness, or in the case of girls that these guys were interested in, how to say no respectfully, or if they were, they weren't behaving that way at all. And they even went so far as to set up a Carrie-like prom king prank on Evan without the blood. If you haven't seen the movie Carrie, it's a classic, disturbing 1976 film about bullying that is terrifyingly cruel. Now, it turned out that Evan turned things around as he grew up, whereas Alec found community in online incel sites and ended up in Toronto killing 11 people in 2018 by running them down on the sidewalk with a van. Apparently, he felt justified because he, a self-proclaimed supreme gentleman, had been rejected by girls and women all his life, and he believed that that would never, ever change. He didn't understand why, and he became immersed in hatred. By the time high school ended, Evan was fixated on finding a girlfriend, while Alec was fixating on incel mass murderers as heroes. I have no idea what their home lives were like, but could a culture of respect, empathy, and teaching how to navigate boundaries and consent in the school peer group have prevented Alec from finding solace in online hate groups? In episode four of Boys Like Me, Ellen speaks with a former jihadi recruiter, Jesse Morton, who was also very much abused as a child about understanding the radicalization process and how to intervene. He's been working with incel groups recently, and he contends that often people are pushed to these online communities because they're outcasts in their real-life communities. He says it's important to understand that a very small percentage of people drawn to incel communities will eventually commit a terrorist act as Alec had, And surprisingly, to me at least, those least active may be the most dangerous. He also says that labeling the groups as a terrorist threat actually validates their narrative that they are the enemy, which dehumanizes them. A lot of incels describe themselves as neat, not in employment, education, or training. So it's not just about women, though that's often the primary focus. It makes sense that extreme social difficulty will most definitely affect your ability to cope with school or get and keep a job, never mind a girlfriend. And these days, a lot of social media contact is about replacing real-world connections. Jesse talks about establishing a parallel network where their grievances are acknowledged because some of them are legitimate, and to show empathy to establish trust and start to meet their emotional needs. Even the quiet introvert who keeps to themselves has emotional needs. We all do. We're human. Obviously, the school only has so much influence over behavior outside the classroom. But I'm glad the schools are trying to teach empathy and respect for each other's uniqueness. There will be teachers who get it wrong. Your children may come home and talk about things you disagree with, as mine did. But that opens up a discussion, and at least the children who have guardians who really aren't there for them or are abusive, hopefully this at least helps them more too. 
And maybe all some of us can do is just set an example for the children in our lives, whether or not they're our children, and just listen to them if we're privileged enough to earn their trust. It really does take a village, and it's dangerous for us not to try. I got an email from Libby in Birmingham about the horny song. It was by Moose, as in the delicious dessert, not the Canadian animal, tea, featuring hot and juicy. Thank you, Libby. I also want to share an Instagram DM that I ran out of time for last week. Hi, Julie. I hope this message finds you well. I wanted to message to ask you for some advice. I'm 35, have struggled financially all my working life. Over the last six years, I've worked my way up to a management position in my job. And I do enjoy the helping people side of it, but have found the work increasingly stressful and suffer with imposter syndrome when attending big meetings. I find a lot of the management have no empathy for the staff we employ, and that upsets me. I also find it quite boring, as it is mainly an office job. I'm a deeply creative person and have a BA honors in fine arts and have a side hustle of selling my creations. I know that I'm able to make money with my side hustle, as I've had some great success with it in the past. I would love to make it my full-time job, but I'm nervous to leave my actual well-paying job, especially as I have just had a baby and I'm now looking into buying a house with my partner. I'm lucky that I have quite a long period of maternity leave, and so I'm currently beginning to start to make things again with an aim to sell at local markets while I'm still off work. I find myself already dreading having to leave my baby four nights a week to go to work, and I desperately want to be self-employed, but I'm so scared I will leave my job and fail at self-employment. Do you have any advice for me at all? I know that I'm capable of creating, but I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to have a steady income like I do now. And I've worked so hard to get that, yet I don't want to work for them for another 30 years. Thank you in advance for any words of wisdom you may be able to offer. Okay, first of all, please know that imposter syndrome is very common. It's almost universal for anyone who's not an actual narcissist. You wouldn't believe the number of very competent people I personally know who have admitted to feeling this way because we all hide it. And especially in a meeting when you're kind of on the spot and in front of a bunch of people. Just remind yourself, lots of people have imposter syndrome every time those thoughts creep into your mind. I'm not an expert, though, so I recommend reading articles or blogs on imposter syndrome, which is what I've done, to help reinforce your own confidence. I think there's value in seeing really accomplished people share that they have felt that way, too. If your management team members lack empathy, you may have a cultural disconnect with your company. Sometimes people think, oh, what does the leader even do? But the leader definitely sets the tone. I'm sure that people do recognize and appreciate your empathy, though, especially if they're not seeing it from the management team in general. So please keep doing what you're doing. And you never know, some of those management team members might quit or get fired. But don't count on that. You're always better off making changes yourself rather than hoping for some change over which you have no control. You say you're looking at buying a house with your partner. If your partner would support you quitting to focus on what is currently a side hustle and this is affordable, you could consider that, but you have to get your partner's agreement 
And you have to trust your partner enough to put yourself in a financially vulnerable situation. So I think quitting fully right now is a bit of a risk under the circumstances. If you feel that you can't really take that risk for whatever reason, you need to plan how and when to eventually take the leap. Maybe there are part-time opportunities at your company, or maybe you can look elsewhere for a better job, one that fits your need for creativity, maybe one that's part-time, maybe one whose culture is more aligned with your value system. It certainly sounds as though your education and experience should be valuable to other employers. The other thing is, I know it is hard to earn a living in any artistic field, so keep up your creative side hustle as much as time allows either way and weigh your options. And congratulations for having accomplished so much. You will bring value to another employer if you and your partner decide you need to keep working. So definitely look for a better fit. Sometimes you can get a really good raise by getting a new job. Who knows? You may find a part-time job that pays you almost as much as this full-time one. Please let me know how it goes. And good luck house hunting. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please share, rate, review. If you have anything you'd like to say or share, email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Or you can DM me or message me through my Facebook page, Jules Says. Have a wonderful week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.